0: Hey listeners, quick question. Are you tired of overpaying for your mobile plan? I've got the answer, Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile is all about flexibility and savings. You only pay for what you use, no crazy fees or overages. It's perfect for those who want control over their phone bill without s- sacrificing quality. Say goodbye to bloated phone bills. Go to milwaukeemafia.com ting. Ting Mobile. Mobile that makes sense. You're listening to
1: Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back with another episode. You got anything for us today or taking the day off? No, I got
1: something. Uh, I got a, I got a monster sweet black cold brew. Uh, so... I was at the uh at the grocery store doing my grocery shopping and I saw this uh this shelf of clearance items and uh at first I saw some mustard and I was like <laughs> I need some mustard so I grabbed some mustard um and then I saw they had some uh, a variety of monster coffee beverages you know they're super cheap and they're they're not expired they're just discontinued to be clear, like they're not on the clearance shelf because they're expired. They're just, they're a product line that isn't made anymore. Um, so the first one I grabbed was a Monster Latte, I think. And I will tell you, I forced myself to drink it and I still dumped it out halfway through. <laughs> that was that bad. It was huh? so bad. Um, so today it's a Monster Cold Brew Sweet Black.
0: So, so we don't know. How this is going to turn out yeah. for you. This
1: this could be the nastiest thing I've ever drank. But that's what I've got today. But as far as the Mafia goes...
0: <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Before we go into the Mafia, take, yeah. us, take a drink. Okay. This is initial reactions. It He doesn't look offended. It's not good.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, the aftertaste <laughs> is really bad. And it tastes kind of powdery. It's not good.
0: No. So, do you feel like
1: you got ripped off? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they were super cheap, but
0: still, oof, ew. All right, rough. So there you go. Our our self- <laughs> senseless uh, promotion of Monster drinks. It's not a promotion.
1: Monster's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. So about the mafia stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something here. I've got. All kinds of stuff on the website, all kinds of stuff in the books, right? And then I've got this ongoing running file where I just keep notes in (laughs) that are not otherwise online, and I will tell you that 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 file right now is at 320 pages. Holy cow! Yeah. And then from there... I've got the FBI files and stuff that I copy into that. And the FBI... I mean, I don't know how many pages of that there are, but tens of thousands of pages to be copied yet. So just to give you some idea of, like, how much stuff I'm, like, trying to turn into things. So for this episode, what I did is I picked out... This is called Balistrieri Tax Problems in 1960 and 61. And this is not the whole story because the way that frank bellshire's tax problems happened from this point on um uh, it was like a 10 year period because like every time they tried to get him he would like sue them in the courts and he would appeal and it would, went on and there were some other wild things that happened along the way So, there's no good way to do a 10-year story in one episode. So, um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do the beginning. So, this is not the entire thing. This is just the beginning of his
0: fun fights with the IRS. Okay. Okay, Before you go into the story, I want to ask questions about um, your whole... Big long file thing you have going yeah. on there. Yeah. So you said that you have like over ten thousand pages of FBI files that it, you're. It could be a hundred thousand. I don't
1: know, but yeah, it's definitely over.
0: You know, the tens of thousands. So the, the are these files you just not had the time to actually really go through? Mostly, yeah. Like so,
1: when when the FBI files show up, I pretty much immediately, no matter what I'm doing, I stop what I'm doing, and I like skim through them. So, it's not like I just put them in a pile and never look at them. So, I know what came in. But then, yeah, after that initial skim, they kind of just sort of go there. And now, what I've done is I've taken... They show up as PDFs. <laughs> and so, I've taken them and I've renamed them by year. So, they're all in order. So, for the benefit of this podcast... um. Like, I can take my notes in order now. There's no sense in me taking notes out of something from the 70s when we're in the 60s. Like, that, uh, I'll do it later. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather, you know, focus on the things that are actually going to come up. So I don't know if that answered your question. But-
0: well, the biggest thing I take from that is is that, that you have 10,000. 000- theoretically, thousands and thousands of pages of information to go through yet. Yeah. There's a lot more to learn about this, apparently.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of... There's some files that, I mean, they've sat nearly 10 years without me doing anything with.
0: So, so and now we're going into t- into the balustry tax, pro- tax problems? Yeah. Sounds like a really, really, really compelling episode for our no, listeners. No, it's... <laughs> no, that's... You would think that, but no, it's... This is good. This, hey... I'm going to be honest, man. I love the idea of it, but but I just think a lot of our listeners are going to be like, "This is not death and and mafia." No, <laughs> well they're
1: they're wrong because this is this one has some good stuff in it. But I will tell you, some of the twists and turns along the way are wild. I mean, it's not just you know, oh you owe back taxes. Like, no, <laughs> there's some weird stuff that doing. happens. So,
0: all right, we'll take her away.
1: All right, so this is 1960-1961. This comes to the public's attention around April 1960, and the newspaper actually runs an article on the back taxes that are owed by uh, two of Frank's businesses, the Downtowner and the Hotel Roosevelt, um, and he owes excise taxes, and excise taxes are basically like the taxes that businesses pay on alcohol and tobacco. (laughs) So... The Downtowner owed $6,500 in back taxes, and the Hotel Roosevelt owed 4700 which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but then I did the adjustments. Nice. <laughs> in 2023 dollars, in today's dollars, that's $67,000 in taxes for the Downtowner and $52,000 for the Hotel Roosevelt. So well over a hundred thousand oh. dollars in unpaid taxes. Not making the IRS very happy. No, not happy. So uh the alcohol and tax uh alcohol and tobacco tax investigators stopped down at the downtowner to check out the books, and no books were found. <laughs> uh tax law required, and I believe still does require that businesses keep their records on hand at the business so people can see um, where the liquor was purchased from and how much and that sort of thing, you know, in order to get an idea of what there was. Uh, but they, they didn't have any books on on the premises, so they could not be looked at. Um, not keeping them on hand at that time was a possible misdemeanor or up to $10,000 in fines. So... Uh, that's pretty serious just in itself, not having the books there. Now the FBI was fairly certain that the books, the accounting books, were kept in the apartment of Bell Street's girlfriend, a woman named Jenny Eliotto, who also happens to be the cousin of his wife. Oh and and she uh rented this apartment under the name Loretta Fisher. And and they're like, okay, We're going to get in here, and we're going to get these books. So what they did, they're like, okay, we don't have a warrant, but what we're going to do is we're going to ask the manager of the apartment if we can have a key. And did this work? Kind of. The manager said yes and gave them the master key to get into the apartment. But then when they went to do it, they found that the locks had been changed. (laughs) So they couldn't get in. They also considered wiretapping the telephones to try to listen in on telephone calls. There were two telephones in the apartment, but they were not the original telephones. They were replaced with two very fancy telephones that were very hard to wiretap. I don't know what these are. One was called a 500 series and the other was called a 302G. Anybody knows about 1960s telephones? Great. I don't. (laughs) Then... Frank is served by the IRS, and they order him to bring his account books to their office. He shows up at the office, the IRS office, without the books. (laughs) Through his attorney, he said he would not be turning over his books, and he would not be making any statement. At this time, the IRS wasn't really sure what to do, when somebody didn't actually turn (laughs) up with the books. So they just let him go home. The, I, I assume with a time to return with the books? Uh, they strongly recommend he brings the books, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, we have Steve DeSalvo, Frank's like right-hand man, making a telephone call from his residence to the residence of a man named Nick DeMarc in Racine. And Nick DeMarc had been an IRS agent since 1938, so that's over 20 years at this point. Now, we don't know what happened on that phone call. And in fact, um Nick DeMarc never comes up in the story again. So this might have just been like a one-off where he called him and, and nobody answered or got nothing out of this. But why was he calling this guy? We don't know. So I did try to figure out if Nick DeMarc had any connections to anybody. And I went out of my way on <laughs> this. <laughs> I did this massive genealogy project on this guy to try to see if he's like related to anybody. And he's got some cousins who are like some low level mob guys, but that's pretty normal. Like, mm-hmm. I mean if you're Nick DeMarc is Italian and and so if you're Italian like sooner or later you're gonna find a cousin since it's yeah. a guy. Like that's not unusual. Um but was like but what was interesting, and this has nothing to do with anything, but what was interesting is that there's this thing in Italian genealogy, this is going to be a big fancy word here, called consanguinity. Ooh. And consanguinity um, is that a people of Italian descent, more so in Italy than here, um, have a long history of marrying their cousins. <laughs> and this is totally the case in Nick DeMarc's situation nick DeMarc married his cousin okay mm-hmm. his wife's parents were cousins with each other and his wife's grandparents were cousins with each other okay so he was not only a cousin to his wife but he was like related to her in like three different
0: ways so that, that's, that's neither here nor there. There's nothing to do with this story. But but that was perfectly normal back then. That's that yeah. No. I mean that was pretty much the standard way of doing things. Yeah, no, it's nothing there's nothing like really like weird about
1: that, but that's just it's something that traditionally Italians did. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's very common that even once they came to the United States, that they would more often than not Marry somebody who was like a third cousin or, you know, or came from the same small town oh, wow. in Italy. So, um, that's, that's not weird. It's just, it's, it's funny when you're doing that and you see the same names pop up because, um, that's not nearly as common in
0: other families, but something weird. <laughs> it's just how it is. I, I just guess I would have thought that because are we well, when are we? When, what year are we talking about? Is this a well, this, so this is, is like in
1: the in 60s? The... He probably got married in the 30s,
0: so okay, yeah, like I could see that still being around because when it, they first really started settling in late 1800s, right? Yeah, so I mean, I can guess I can kind of see like I would think all communities that are are first coming to the U.S., yeah. they probably did something like that because they're not going to have a ton of their people in an area. To a point. So they're going to... The, the Italians to...
1: do it more, but, yeah, it's, it's it, it happens. It happens.
0: Frank Balestrier
1: returns to the IRS office with his attorney. And this time he brings some of his accounting books. <laughs> he says he could not bring all of the books because some of them were burned up in a garage fire, and then he t- tells them about this garage fire. The next day, the IRS looks into the garage fire and finds no evidence yeah, that there was ever a garage fire. That this fire. fire happened. So at this point, they're like, hmm, maybe we should uh, try to get him on the record and get him for perjury, if nothing else, because there's no record of this fire. In the meantime... Frank's brother, Peter, is also going through tax problems, because Peter is the one whose name is on a lot of these businesses, because Frank um, has trouble getting his name on businesses, Uh, not so much at this point for any record, because he hasn't served jail time yet, but more so because Milwaukee's got this rule that you can only have your name on two liquor licensed businesses. Um, I don't know if that's changed or not, but... At this point, that was the rule. So because he wanted to have several bars and nightclubs, his brother signed on to a number of them. So anyway, Peter Balistrieri's account books have been taken by the IRS, and they take them directly from his accountant. They didn't bother to even go through him. They mm-hmm. take them from his accountant. He files a motion with the courts to say, hey, uh, can I have my books back? Because he's scheduled to make an appearance and be asked questions about his taxes. And he's like, I can't even answer those without my books. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no. (laughs) You cannot have them. Which seems kind of weird to me, but, I mean, whatever. That's what they decided. The IRS, uh, an IRS intelligence unit agent, spoke with the Milwaukee FBI and told them that his superior said that he could have access to all the FBI's surveillance records on Frank Balestrieri. The Milwaukee FBI agents told the IRS agent that they had been informed also to turn over anything of significance to the IRS, and they would provide full cooperation. Then, the internal FBI report, which was not given to the IRS agent, said, that they believed that there was nothing of significance to the IRS in their surveillance, and they would not be turning over anything to the IRS. Uh, To translate that, the IRS agent was told by his boss that he could have access to FBI reports to help in his investigation. Mm -hmm. The FBI agent said, yes, we know about this, and you can have access to it. Internally, the FBI turns around and says, You ain't giving this guy anything.
0: Way to to work together, government. Yeah.
1: So, hmm, all right. Okay, by October 1961, so now it's been over a year where they've been trying to get, like, information on these tax records, and they're still not getting very far. The FBI suspects that there were as many as four possible ways that the IRS was getting leaks of information out to Frank Balestrieri, about ongoing tax matters. They also recognized that if they investigated Frank Balestrieri and then handed their findings over to the IRS, as they said that they would, that investigation could also be leaked, because once the IRS had it, if the IRS had leaks, then Hmm. the FBI would also have leaks, because... It'd be leaking through the IRS. Um, this, I don't know if they realized this till after the earlier, like, not cooperating part, but by this point, they're like, well, now we're definitely not handing anything <laughs> over. Special agents John Holtzman and Albert Necrum were at Gallagher's Steakhouse, which is one of the Balistrieri restaurants, and they witnessed Frank Balistrieri come in around 9.30 p.m. He immediately pulled out a chair and set it by a table with two middle-aged men, a middle-aged woman, and a younger woman, none of whom were identified by the agents. He talked with them for a while, and then went and talked to a waitress, and then finally busied himself around the restaurant for 25 minutes. He conversed with the table a little bit more, and then went to go answer a telephone call. Fifteen minutes later, they were joined by yet another middle-aged man. From about 11 to 11.30, Balistrieri spoke with one of the men while the others had left the table. At 1.30 a.m., everyone left except Balistrieri. They departed in three cars. These people were somehow connected to Frank's tax problems, um, and ultimately the FBI was able to realize that one of the men at the table was an IRS agent. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately for me, the name is redacted in the record. So I don't know who this is. They confront the IRS agent, and he says, well, I have mutual friends with Frank Balestrieri, so that's how we know each other. Multiple times, he goes, he admits that Balestrieri did ask him multiple times about how his tax case was going and things like that, but each time the agent would only say, you know, I'm not going to tell you. This is how cases normally go and how we normally do things, but I can't give you specifics. That's what he said. I would love to know the name of this agent. Now I don't think it's Nick DeMarc. Because because Nick DeMarc's name was not redacted in other parts of the record, it would be really weird We're for them to redact it here. Yeah. Um so I don't think it's him. Now it could be uh Provenzano, I think his name was Frank. Could be confused. Could be Angelo. Nah eh, it's Provenzano, who we talked about a long time ago. I
0: I recognize that name,
1: so um who who happened to be gay and there was talk that both the IRS and the mafia were kind of using him against each other by sort of blackmailing him. Um, He's a possible candidate for who's blanked out here because um, I could see him having mutual friends with Mm Belstery. Also around this time, um, they investigated a bribery charge of Frank Belstery bribing a guy named John Engler. So I'm curious if maybe John Engler is a guy who's an IRS guy, but I couldn't confirm that because looking into it, John Engler is a strangely super common, common name. <laughs> name. Um, like there was a, a guy in Waukesha who was a politician named John Engler. There was actually a governor of Michigan named John Engler. Who, I mean, <laughs> obviously it's not that guy,
0: but, but I'm but like. But the politician from Waukesha seems reasonable. That's possible. Yeah.
1: That's possible. So it's, I'm like, I, I don't know. So we don't we don't know exactly who it is, but the agent denies giving out any information. So, you know, nothing happens there. The final thing in our story for today is that by the end of 1961, so now it's been over a year and a half, it's coming up on two years of the IRS and FBI working on his accounting book irregularities. The Milwaukee FBI office had still failed to access Jenny Alioto's apartment (laughs) after all this time. They decided, you know what might work? They're like, how about this? We get him indicted on something really small and stupid, like perjury. And then when we go to arrest him, We make sure we arrest him while he's visiting the apartment.
0: (laughs) So then we can get in the apartment. Then
1: we can get in the apartment. Yeah. So we'll knock on the door with the warrant and we'll arrest him. While the agents are arresting him, we can look around the room and maybe we'll see something. (laughs) And if we see something, we can request a search warrant to come back and search the apartment. Okay. So that's their next plan.
0: I mean... Uh it's not a it might work, but it's like that's the best you can come up with, I guess. You know? No,
1: it you know, it's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good plan. Um but like that's They're not trying that hard. <laughs> like, they're really dragging this out and um like we'll see in, in the future like other things that they do and they go they do some it gets shady. It gets really shady what they do. Like, at first, they're going to end up renting the apartment across the hall and just, like, kind of, like, looking through the peephole all day. (laughs) Like, that's relatively minor, but, like, they're going to keep stepping it up and and crossing into the territory where um, they're blatantly breaking the law trying to get into this apartment.
0: Is that is that it for it? Yeah, that's it for now. So, Like I
1: said, like, there's not really a great end because this is going to continue, like, Spoiler, he ends up going to prison for tax problems. But that's not till 1971. Yeah, so we got so, a
0: long ways of this being dragged out. Yeah. Which, basically... So we're on... just going to check in every so often on, on how this goes. <laughs> so the thing that's crazy about this one to me is mm-hmm. is that, um I don't know, I guess I, I would have tooled up that the, the mafia was resourceful and smart about the crimes they were committing. Uh-huh. And it just sounds like, I mean, his strategy when he initially gets indicted for tax fraud is to just show up to the appointment without his books. I don't think he's even indicted yet.
1: I, or, think, I think at this point they're just kind of looking into it.
0: Yeah, like, like I just feel like on the back end, the mafia would have had like books created to make this look legitimate. Yeah. But it it seems like they didn't even bother. They just, they just flatly ignored the fact that they were supposed to be paying taxes and just did not care. That's definitely the way it seems, yeah. Which, I mean, and maybe that's just this time. Mm -hmm. That's all they had to do because maybe... Because it's still what, without even really having any books, it still takes them like 20 years to convict the guy or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean... Is it stupid to not
1: even make an attempt to cover your tracks? Yeah, incredibly. But I, I'm going to give Frank credit here because what Frank is really good at is having attorneys. He's,
0: he's, he's really good at
1: always having attorneys. And that can get you a long way. If you got a good attorney, that can get you a long way.
0: Right, but and, if you have you have a good attorney and a dirty accountant working together yeah. to hide all this stuff, it's going to get you twice as far. Probably, yes. You know Probably what I mean? Yes. And I'm just shocked that he didn't. He never went that route, or at least at this point, it doesn't seem like he's even bothering with that. You know. And it also swings back to like the previous I think it was the last episode we mm. recorded where we were talking about all these manufacturing companies that yeah. bringing up and making these counterfeit toys. Well, they kind of tried to cover themselves, but it was really like a a half half effort, yeah, to really hide the fact what they were doing they were They were doing the minimum. To be able to to yeah. counterfeit a toy, which they could have gone a few more steps and made it a lot harder to realize True. what they were doing. True. And yeah, and
1: um, and I should I should clarify uh, for this episode, um, like this is coming out of FBI files. It, it's not coming out of the IRS files because the IRS does not give the you files. files. Yeah. The IRS is good luck getting anything. They, they have Freedom of Information Act forms that you can fill out. But, but they're, they're not going to, they you just, uh,
0: they just disapprove them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've never tried. Um, I, maybe you could get like a personnel file or something, but if it's anything related to anything about someone's taxes, they won't give it, it to, to you. you. So, uh, so trying to get the IRS's side of this story, like I, I don't have it. So unless it was in the newspaper, or it made it
0: into the FBI file. I don't have that side. Um but yeah, in and, and when you look at it from that perspective, maybe maybe the level of sophistication they were doing this at was a lot more, but the FBI just kind of glosses over that where the IRS would understand more right. everything they were doing to cover up what they weren't doing that they should be doing to be legal, I guess.
1: Right. Because, yeah, from the FBI's perspective, like, what they want to do is, is they want to nail him for something. Mm-hmm. And they know that one way to do that is to get him busted for these tax issues. But they have no enforcement of that. The FBI doesn't really care about you know the accounting like that's, right. that's not and they their don't under,
0: they don't understand it either so right. they can't really understand how sophisticated it is right so, so, pro- so to
1: their extent it's like well how do we how do we catch him doing something shady and at that point they'd have to turn it over anyway mm-hmm. so like they're not like actively like show us your books like the i the fbi doesn't care about that part right but but yeah it's it is weird but like I said, I gotta give him some credit for the attorney thing. Like at first, it sounds really dumb to show up. Like when they when you're summoned to the IRS, obviously you show up and you have nothing. Like that seems really stupid, but it might not actually be that stupid because
0: they couldn't do it. They didn't know what to do right. when you brought nothing. So
1: right, I mean, like the IRS is a scary thing you know like as far as as far as law enforcement goes irs is one of the scarier ones i think but really like they're the same as anyone else like they have to prove that you did something wrong and if the books don't exist (laughs) then it's on them they got they got to find the evidence so um it sounds really dumb but like that's not the worst
0: yeah, I, I suppose. the, the I, less you turn over to them, the harder they have to work. I mean it almost makes it sound like the worse your books are, the better you're off. Because it's <laughs> harder to prove you did anything wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. So interesting. I mean I'm not encouraging people Yeah, to... yeah, don't don't cook your books or, yeah. or not have books because of Yeah.
1: I mean just do your taxes correctly. But but seriously, like back in back in this time like now, I, I it's I assume that there's a major difference between the IRS in the 60s and today. Like, today, the IRS knows what you owe. Like, before you file, they know exactly what you owe.
0: Or they have a pretty good idea. Yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah. But, like, in the 60s, I have no idea, like, what they knew or didn't know. And and these are all, like, restaurants and nightclubs, so it's, like, a largely cash business. Yeah. So they're not getting the numbers.
0: And you got to wonder, like... W2s did something like that even exist in the 60s? I I don't know. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. I you know I I would be I would bet the W2s existed but but how good were they
1: about, you know, automatically sending them in each year? Yeah. Like, I don't know.
0: Like, they existed, but they maybe only received 60% of them and just didn't really yeah. do anything about the other 40% they never got yeah. and stuff like that. I
1: definitely, I mean, by no means do I know a whole lot about how taxes work. but, But, yeah. So, this is, is it dumb? It's super dumb. But at the same time, like, it's going to work for a while. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, it, it, that's the thing. Like, to us, to, uh, to me on the surface, it's like there's so much you, more you could do. But I can't really take it away from him because he dragged it out for 10, 20 years in yeah. this case before he ever gotten in any trouble for it. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And, and he almost majorly wins on a technicality, but. I'm not even gonna mention what that technicality is because that's gonna be a whole thing in itself.
0: So but that's coming. That's coming in. That's the future. that's coming
1: and it's huge. <laughs> it's it's like the most major legal violation that the FBI IRS were doing. Um it's they should have gotten a lot more trouble. trouble.
0: All right. So I guess we can wrap this episode up. Just know this is kind of the first part of a many part. Yeah, but but it's not. We're not following this up right after, right after. No. We're just going to come back and revisit it. it along the way. We'll timeline. check in
1: periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that there's going to be at least three parts to this.
0: Cool. So, so all right. With that, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast player. And we do have a Patreon. You can find that at milwaukeemafia.com, or you can visit patreon.com/slash/milwaukeemafia. And we do have a newsletter which can be easily signed up for from your show notes or at MilwaukeeMafia.com. And, Gavin, do you have some contact information that they can reach out to you at?
1: I do. Uh, I've got MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. Really getting every Milwaukee Mafia reference we can in there. And, yeah, the newsletter, please sign up for the newsletter. It's super easy if you go to MilwaukeeMafia.com. It's not hidden you'll right. you'll you'll see how to sign up like immediately um and you'll see as far as we know you know what episodes are coming up when we know um or places I might show up in real life if you wanna come and harass me in person um you're welcome to do that uh and just you know other odds and ends, so don't spam me you if know, it comes out like the first week of each month, and then that's it, like, we're, well, we're not soliciting or anything so but it's low-key laid-back as a newsletter gets
0: yep so with that we thank you everybody again and we'll be back next week with the patreon and in two weeks with a regular mafia episode thanks everybody for tuning in
1: thanks for tuning in to the milwaukee mafia podcast join us next time for another look back at wisconsin mafia and true crime history